Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Spiritual Unity Radio Network, a station dedicated to the concept that all manifestations of the divine are equally valid. Join Reverend Terry Power HP, Robin McKean, and all the hosts for programming covering a wide range of spiritual topics, right here on Blog Talk Radio. Uh, because in Tenafly this year, the mayor's seat is up for election. 
and um, I think it's a good opportunity to keep moving things forward in Centerfly. So I, I jumped in the race, and I'm happy to report, um, you know, at the uh, committee meeting, you were there. Uh, yes. You know, I was nominated, and uh, we're moving forward. That is phenomenally awesome. Uh, Whitical, you are a, a rising star, and it's uh, wonderful to behold. You know, it, it's interesting. The um, Thank you. Um, but what, what I find even um, far more notable uh, traditionally over when I first joined the Tenafly Democratic Organization and the, and the, and the, uh, and the, and the, and the governing body in Tenafly, there were there were years where we we couldn't find candidates. You know, every year two seats are up for election in Tenafly, and mm-hmm. uh, in the past we couldn't find candidates to actually run for office. People weren't interested in Tenafly, uh, the Democrats, uh, because it was uh, a Republican stronghold for a hundred years. And what's really astonishing is how now, this year we had two open seats for council. And there were five individuals who were fighting and vying for the opportunity uh, to be nominated by the borough council. And I think that's an excellent sign of how engaged the community is in Tenafly. Now, instead of begging people to run for office, we've got people fighting to have an opportunity to do their part and serve their community. And I think that's, uh, I think that's a wonderful thing. I think it's a wonderful thing, too, and that, that was the first time I ran for anything, so it was very exciting. I didn't get the nomination, uh, but I haven't given up. I, it's fueled uh, um, uh, a fire inside of me, and the fire will not be extinguished, so I'm going to be moving forward. Don't quite know what my next move will be, but I will be moving forward. No, no, that's, and, and congratulations to you, and thank you uh, for running and putting your name in the ring, uh, because it's important, because everyone who runs challenges uh, the other candidates to be better at what they're doing and it helps everyone hone their message and it helps it helps point the the committee the party the candidates in the right direction and, and by the way just to give you uh, give you a sense of keep up the hope I have won three general elections and one primary at the ballot box so I've won four elections and I think I've lost Six uh, by my last count. So I've lost more elections than I've won, and I think I I lost three elections before I won the first time. So you can't give up hope. You have to keep pushing forward, and you learn more from your losses than you do from when you win. Uh, and so keep that in the back of your mind, and um, never never lose faith. And and that's one thing I've gone around the state uh, speaking to. Uh, people in communities who want to run for office but traditionally uh, are underrepresented. And all I talk about is how important it is to get out there, put your name forward, figure out a way to get over the fear and the trepidation of it. And if you lose, that's okay. Because if you want to be involved in governing and politics, losing elections is just part of the longer process. You lose some and you win some and you keep moving on from there. Yes, thank you so much uh, for those words. And I, I know you repeated them before, and I've taken them to heart. Uh, so, no, I'm not getting discouraged. That, that was my first time. Um, what do you call it? So there will be a second time, a third time, a fourth time. I will keep great. going until I succeed. Excellent. So, um, uh, and, and it was a great uh, learning experience. I felt very uh, confident. Uh, the fact that I stepped forward made me think about 
really thoroughly how I felt about certain things and what I felt strongly about. Uh, it helped me identify uh, the vastness of my ignorance, which was humbling, but it, yeah, at least it gave me a place to start uh, learning. Uh, and, uh, <laughs> I, I have to tell you, uh, that's a, the vastness of our ignorance. That is an excellent, excellent term. And if you can forgive me, I, I'm definitely going to use that from the podium Feel one day. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Now, that, that was a good um, one. Thank you. Um, now, both of us believe very strongly in uh, you know, hearing what people have to say. And uh, I've been very surprised um, at how prevalent it's become. Um, the, you know, basically people becoming intolerant of another point of view. And uh, we live right now in a time that's polarized a lot of people. And uh, people are very dismissive of what the opposition you know, has to say. And uh, it, it's very, very surprising uh, to me, but I feel that action has to be uh, taken. And this podcast uh, is part of that action. Uh, we've had a lot of interesting people uh, um, on, uh, libertarians, uh, independents, uh, Green Party people. Um, we've had, uh, I believe, one Republican so far has accepted the invitation. Uh, but it's very important, I, I feel, uh, to hear what they have to say because, um, because I can't see everything. I can just see from where I'm standing and understand based on where I've stood before as well as where I'm currently standing. Uh, I'm not going to see everything. And sometimes the opposition, even though you still might not agree with them, has valid points that need to be considered or brings up issues that need to be addressed. So uh, I'm very puzzled by this uh, not listening but I was very heartened when you gave your speech to hear that you also felt strongly about this issue. So I figured that's something I'd like to talk about tonight a little bit. So, so, so this is an excellent topic, the, the concept of divergent points of view and why we need to be tolerant in terms of our discourse. Um, let's talk about compromise, uh, for instance, and, and let's, Let's shoot right to the top of the uh, the mountain here and talk about the, the recent shutdown of the federal government. Okay, now I, I, I'm a I'm a uh, I'm, I'm a I'm a I'm a democratically elected councilman in Tenafly. I've been a Democrat for I can't count how many decades, and you know I'll let the audience uh, guess for the purpose of this discussion. You know my point of view uh, on the current occupant of the White House. Okay. And okay. we had this we had this shutdown for 35 days or so, and uh, the, the president had his particular issues, and the House of Representatives, the leaderships, uh, had, the leadership of the House had their particular point of view. Um, I think that the shutdown overall was a result of a failure of everyone involved in Washington. Uh, they failed to reach any sort of compromise. And that, mm -hmm. that, that is not me saying I'm defending a wall or making an excuse for a wall, okay? And I'm not saying it's money well spent uh, and there wouldn't be better ways of handling it. We all acknowledge there's far more better ways of handling things um, in the White House than is going on right now. But 
the failure for parties to sit and compromise at some level is adding to this hostility uh, and, and causing us to not be able to move forward. And, and the reality is when, when the, the regular person, the working person uh, out in the street and when they're on their computer at home is, is turning on the television and watching CNN or, or going on Facebook and there's arguments and fights and people are generally nasty to each other, nothing but bad things can happen from that. Okay? Right. And when we look when we look at an example of the, the president of the United States and the leadership of the House not being able to reach any sort of compromise, uh, that's a real problem. There's a fundamental problem there that goes beyond whether they were how much money for a wall or whether we need a wall or not. And, you know, and I know I've touched on this issue before, but the lack mm-hmm. of compromise is, is what caused the civil war in the United States because compromise failed and uh, the right decisions weren't made uh, for all the wrong reasons. And um, this is an example. Um, and we just lived through it for 35 days. Now, when we take it down from that stratosphere to our local town council, mm-hmm. we have six Democrats on the town council, and we have some very healthy uh, disagreements in private and in public uh, during council meetings on a wide range of topics. And I'm perfectly comfortable uh, in the atmosphere of an argument. And when I mean argument, I mean as an intellectual process. I don't mean people slugging it right. out. I mean, you're having an argument, discussing the issues, debating right and wrong, and can you afford it, can you not afford it? Um, And some of my colleagues and I on the council, uh, we don't agree on everything. You know, just because we're Democrats in a room doesn't mean we agree on everything. We have lots of disagreements, um, and there's good points of view. Uh, Everyone has a good point of view, and I really believe that even if you have individuals that you don't agree with, you need to let them have the opportunity to speak because if they don't have the opportunity to speak, then, then anger starts because people on a basic level want to be heard, whether you're a three-year-old child or, uh, you know, a 58-year-old grown adult man, you want to have the opportunity to be heard about your point of view. And then most people, once they're heard, it's almost like a, um, like a, a steam valve going off, the pressure comes out, you release what's on your mind, and then you can have some sort of debate and discussion about a topic and potentially reach a solution. And in the best compromise, no one gets everything they want. Everyone walks right. away with a little bit of what they want, and they're a little bit disappointed. And that's how you know you've reached a deal that probably is the best deal for everyone. Um, and, and, and divergent points of view when people disagree with you, that helps you hone your own thinking process. Um, Correct. Right? Because other, if I was in a council meeting and everyone constantly agreed with me or we agreed with another council person and, then, and, and, and myself or another individual was never faced with any challenges as to what we were saying, you know, ultimately that winds up, um, you know, in, in a dictatorship that never leads to good things. So leaders always need to be challenged. And a good example of that is uh, our new congresswoman from over in the Bronx. 
uh, Ocasio, uh, who's uh-huh. out there saying some things that are really even kind of left field for progressives, and, and that's okay. I think she's wonderful. I think uh, uh, she, the amount of energy she has and challenging the authority um, is excellent because it forces everyone to think. Does that mean I would necessarily, if I was sitting with her as a colleague, vote for everything she wanted to do? No, because I have issues with it. But I like the idea of her bringing forth ideas that are challenging the current um, perceptions of how we do business and what needs to be done. Because she's forcing her other colleagues, no matter how senior they are, to have to deal with it. And that helps them hone their own skills and helps them hone their own message and perhaps reach uh, a, a better agreement about, about, about accomplishing things in Washington that's sorely lacking right now. I, I agree with you, and it, it is refreshing. I don't agree with everything she says either, but uh, uh, it is refreshing to see somebody saying these things uh, and kind of shaking things up uh, a little bit uh, and having people reexamine their own beliefs and uh, look at things in a new way. Uh, because, th- as you've pointed out very many times, um, our representatives represent us or should be representing us. So um, hearing voices other than the voices that they're familiar with is, is a good thing because these voices exist in the community. And if she wasn't verbalizing those things, uh, she wouldn't be uh, um, where she is right now. She won against somebody who was very entrenched in uh, his position and felt that he couldn't be toppled from it. And she did topple him. Uh, so now she's bringing that to uh, a bigger arena and reaching a wider audience. You know, it, it's interesting you bring up uh, that, you know, she, she, she won in the primary. Um, you know, when you run for office, uh, there's only two ways of running, unopposed or scared. And mm-hmm. when you have that mindset, when you have an, op- a, a, an opponent in a primary or a general election, you have to run scared. You have to wake up every day saying to yourself, I need to do more because if I don't, I'm going to lose this race. And that pushes you to do more. And her opponent in the primary, you know, on election day was, I think he was sitting in a coffee shop in Washington, D.C., rather than pounding the pavement and making phone calls, helping to get out the vote. And she wanted to win. And she knew she could lose. But he thought he was convinced of his invincibility. And she won. And, uh, you know, that is the basics. When I, when I run for office, um, I, you know, I call every member of the committee a couple of weeks before the election, uh, the night of the election, to try the day after to thank them. And people typically say to me, Mark, why, of course you have my vote. You know, I've known you for 25 years. I want you to do this. And I say, no, I, o- I always ask for people's vote. You never assume that you're going to get it. You have to ask for it. You have to thank them for it. And she did that. And that's why she, she won because, you know, she's new. She has new ideas and human beings, as we all know, we become, um, we become set in our ways. You know, we walk the dog around the same block every day, right? Uh, We go to the same coffee shop every day. We sometimes we, you know, we don't sometimes, if you put sugar in your coffee, you do that every day. 
Um, so we get used to things, and with those patterns means that new ideas are not coming forth, which is why we need divergent points of view to challenge the existing thinking to make things better. Well, I'm in total agreement. And uh, even looking at our uh, president, I try to find positive in, in all uh, circumstances. Um, there, too, there are voices uh, and perspectives that uh, have not been uh, um, entertained on such a high level before. So uh, it, his being uh, our leader um, has forced me to uh, examine a lot of my own uh, beliefs. And some of the things that came about because of his leadership uh, have, have forced me to examine my beliefs. Like, for instance, uh, I may have talked about this uh, before, but uh, I'm Greek. And uh, Greeks are raised believing certain things. And a lot of those things, I started hearing like the similar type of beliefs uh, voiced by like white nationalists. Right. So I wasn't aware of that, you know, so I became aware right. of this. And, it, and uh, even though I don't really act from those beliefs, there, there were beliefs from uh, childhood programming, uh, they were there. And I had to really look at them and see what the danger of some of these beliefs, although they, they seem innocuous uh, when I was growing up uh, and other uh, people with other nationalities believed in similar things about their own nationalities, uh, I have to really look at uh, nationalist type of thinking and how it is a very dangerous uh, thing if you just accept it and don't think about it uh, and and oh. and operate from it. And um, I'm very grateful to uh, the things that have happened uh, in the regard that it forced me to really examine those uh, beliefs that I thought innocuous and to find that they're not innocuous at all and they need to be rooted out. No, you're, you're right. It's interesting. So my own my own story of that is so I have um, I have three daughters and, and, and a wife, um, um, you know, so there's and a son also. But this is about my three daughters and my wife. So I have, you know, four women in my life on a daily basis. And, you know, as a general rule, I'm a, I'm a pretty respectful guy. And uh, uh-huh. but watching Donald Trump. Uh, behave the way he does and the way he speaks about women really it you know it raised my awareness and i said to myself i got to make sure i'm never ever ever like that under any Mm -hmm. circumstances you know and 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 again i'm defending myself without really having to i'm not like that but it raised Uh my awareness you know treat people uh fairly and with respect and watch how you say things, because I certainly don't ever want to sound like that person um, who says insulting, crazy things about women. Um, so that 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 negative behavior made me say I need to be better than that. That's for sure. So I, I, I I'm with you on that. Uh, but that's again the divergent voice that we clearly don't agree with um, has kind of made sure you both you and I made sure in particular areas we're better people than what we're witnessing. Right. Because you see something that you might've dismissed uh, before as harmless is not being harmless at all. So, so right. uh, yeah. And I, and I am grateful for, uh, to Donald Trump for that, even though, again, I don't agree uh, with uh, most everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, 
he represents. Let's not go too far with the accolades. You know? <laughs> he, he he did force me to look in several mirrors that otherwise I would not have looked at, and I, I believe that I've become a better person because I've looked in those mirrors. So uh, um, anyway, yeah, I, I was having a com- I was having a conversation with a business person this morning, and we were talking about you know mistakes we make in decision making in business and. In business, you you always it's a roller coaster ride, and and one of the things we both agreed on it's always best to learn from other people's mistakes, and to learn what not to do, um, and not have to go through it yourself. You know why suffer right. if you don't have to? So you you watch what others do, and it's like you know what that action didn't make any sense over there. Um, you know I'm gonna I'm gonna look both ways before I cross the street. You know that sort of thing. Uh, so because it didn't turn out well for the other guy, and uh, that's that's also an impe- that's also a, a very important lesson. And that goes back to my comment about losing elections. You learn more uh, from things that go wrong. You know, it's 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 easy to walk away from something that goes right and think of ourselves as geniuses. Uh, but when something goes wrong, it really forces you to examine, you know, your decision making process and the choices we make. Oh, extremely. And uh, um, also like conversations, uh, as you mentioned, you had a conversation with somebody and uh, uh, it led to uh, uh, some insights. I can cite a conversation we had on this show uh, that has uh, radically altered uh, some of my beliefs. Uh, uh, we had a conversation about uh, small business owners and health insurance. Right. And uh, what you said made a lot of sense. And I thought about it and I've been able to bring up the uh, um, the perspective in meetings with people who are more labor oriented, you know, that basically oh. uh, small businesses are not the enemy, you know, that this economy is affecting uh, everybody. We don't live in the same reality that we lived in uh, a decade or, or two ago, and that uh, maybe we should all be cooperating for uh, uh, universal health care rather than, you know, uh, uh, labor and uh, employers uh, being at odds with each other when our world has changed. You know, why not look at what we all want and aim for that and work together to get it rather than, you know, uh, fighting each other. So I'm very grateful to that conversation. It, it, it really opened my eyes to something I hadn't considered before. No, I think that, uh, 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 that's, that's wonderful. I mean, that, that's back to your divergent, uh, viewpoint uh because it does open our awareness you know i was driving i think i was in uh newark on business on friday and uh, so i was driving home by myself just you know talking to myself in the car thinking and uh i was i was thinking through the argument about why some people don't want or don't like single-payer health care because they they call it you know socialized medicine and they don't trust the government and all this these sort of things which uh um, are not true from my perspective um, because, you know, people who are afraid of the government making decisions about their health care are the same people who have to fight with uh, a private insurance company for paying for an operation or, or paying, you know, for, for mental health services or whatever it might be. And so the concept that we're afraid of the government helping us but we're okay with, uh, you know, Aetna and Prudential and Blue Cross or these private entities uh, making healthcare decisions for us. It doesn't make any sense. Um, you Not know, to and, me either. 
not, not at all. And single payer health care is not about socialized medicine. You don't people who advocate for single payer health care aren't advocating for socialized medicine. It's still private doctors, still private hospitals. Uh, it's just the fact that the money gets managed differently. And, um, you know, most people would not want Social Security privatized. We trust, you know, the military and, and Social Security are a couple of the things that the, the federal government does and is, does it well. And um, no one would want to privatize Social Security, but then sometimes those same people take the opposite argument of saying, let's keep health care privatized, but we want the Social Security, which is purely about money management, handled by the federal government. And a single-payer health care system is exactly the same thing. It's about money management. Um, you know, the, the government and the Social Security program is not involved at all with how you earned your money. You go out, you pick whatever, you're a doctor, uh, you drive a, you, you work a crane on a construction site, you're a nurse, whatever you do, you contribute to Social Security, the government handles the money, and then you get a check when you retire every month. It works pretty well, okay? So mm -hmm. why would we take the opposite argument with health care? We just want the government to pool the money and distribute it appropriately based on people's health care needs. If, if Hercules, if you, if you break your leg once a year and you have to go to the doctor to get it fixed, and I'm fortunate and I never break my leg, that's fabulous. You're going to take up more health care dollars. I'm going to take up less. But at the end of the day, it all balances out. Right. Yeah, it does all balance out. And I remember before, uh, I've been in healthcare for many, many years. Uh, um, and uh, I remember when uh, hospitals uh, had like sliding scale type of things. So you brought in like certain documents and taxes, pay stubs, and uh, they figured out on a sliding scale what you could pay. And uh, during my first years of independence, when I was uh, uh, in my very early uh, 20s, uh, and I first uh, started interacting with the system as uh, an individual, everything was fine. You know, every, uh, <laughs> it, there was a system in place uh, before uh, the insurance companies got involved. And I was still in healthcare when the insurance uh, uh, companies started uh, taking over uh, healthcare. And the tumultuous changes that I saw uh, were not for the better. And uh, so the system can work because it has worked uh, in the past. And even though we're not in the same places we're in the past, uh, solutions uh, that work in other countries can be tried here. And uh, with part of the socialized medicine, I think the word socialized is part of the problem. Uh, it's like uh, calling uh, uh, the, um, um, the health care that we had Obamacare. And a lot of people right. not realizing that, uh, you know, they were happy with what they had, but they thought Obamacare was something threatening because it was associated with uh, uh, President Obama, and they fought it, and then discovered to their dismay uh, that their coverage uh, was Ob Obamacare, and they were fighting against their own interests. So, uh, it, it, again, again I, I believe education, I, I believe that uh, uh, there have to be, like, different things uh, tried, but that uh, we have to aim for something that will benefit everybody, and it, because that is something that exists elsewhere and something that we've had here that we should endeavor to accomplish that in some way. 
Well, you know, the healthcare, our 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 healthcare system, excuse me, our health insurance system, or the paying for healthcare has grown up along with healthcare growing up. You know, uh, 150 years ago, we wouldn't be having a conversation about you know how, how do we pay for your vaccines and how do you get prenatal care. Um, people just died of smallpox and uh, women died in labor. Right. So, right. so, you know, medical science through fits and starts and people suffering and getting better has gotten better. So all of a sudden now there's something to pay for. And when there previously wasn't something to pay for. And um, look at uh, Richard Nixon believed in a single payer health care system. You know, Eisenhower believed in it. This isn't some, uh, uh, you know, the, the United States military has a single payer health care system. If you are, if you were in the military, you could take care of by military doctors. Um, you know, we can argue plus and minus, good and bad about the Veterans Administration. Their services certainly aren't good enough, but that's not a single. We're not arguing for government sponsored health care. Uh, again, it's about money management. Um, right. And keep the health care private, but manage the money at a level that benefits all of society, just like Social Security. It's Medicare for all. My parents are in their mid-80s. They have Medicare. They, they, they have conversations about Part B, Part D, and donuts, and I don't even understand it, but they understand it. And uh, uh-huh. they're very happy. They're happy with the net result when they go to their private doctors and um, you know, they pay their, their portion of their health insurance and the social security check, but it works. So why can't it work for people who are in their fifties and forties and thirties? Of course it can, you know, that gets into the level of you follow the money. And uh, you know, when insurance companies and insurance interests and lobbyists and dark money uh, are, are donating and contributing to political campaign campaigns and PACs, you know, that's what we're fighting here. We're fighting money to interests. We're not fighting concepts. Right. Very, very true. Uh, but unfortunately, the concepts are thrown out there and people start fighting over what they perceive to, you know, their, their understanding of various concepts instead of looking directly at what uh, it is that they should be looking at. Right. Exactly. Exactly. I can go on with examples of healthcare issues all night long, but I don't, I don't want to, uh, I don't want to bore anyone. No, it's not boring. I find it very exciting. We'll move on to another topic and we will keep returning to healthcare because that's one of the things that I would like to do something uh, about. Um, now, as someone who's beginning this uh, political uh, journey, um, I'm like seeking insight. So the Democratic Party has training. Uh, I attended one of the trainings a while ago. Uh, and uh, I'm thinking about um, participating in more types of uh, training. And uh, also I've been um, seeking out information on uh, what you had said, uh, you know, basically all politics is local. So to understand a lot more about how municipalities, you know, function. Um, so I'm, I'm educating myself that way. What can you recommend uh, that I familiarize myself with uh, so that I can be more effective at what I want to do. So, a, a, so let's, let's talk about the hard things and then the theoretical things, the hard, 
the concrete things are showing up. You have to, mm-hmm. uh, I, would, I would recommend to anyone thinking about running or running, show up at events, meet people, uh, have conversations with people. You know, the old saying, you have two ears and one mouth. Spend more time listening to what people have to say and what their opinions are and their concerns are than speaking about what's important to you. Because if, if you want to go into public service, you're not going into it for you. You're not going to get rich. Right. Uh, you're going to make enemies. People won't like you. They'll criticize you because you're going into it because you believe in something bigger than yourself. So go out and meet people. Go make sure you go to all the Democratic committee meetings, um, attend, uh, go to the county committee meetings, go to uh, freeholder meetings and town council meetings and occasionally a planning board meeting and listen to the conversations going on in the community. One of the places I like to go to, I like mm-hmm. to go to the Tenafly Recycling Center because, you know, I'm always throwing stuff out, always throwing out garbage. I bring my recyclables there. But I get to speak to all the guys who work there and I become friendly uh-huh. with them, and they're all great guys. And we talk about stories of things going on around town. And I learn about this issue or that issue because they're having the same conversations with all the other residents who are going there to have conversations. That's a so, good point. Yep, you want to you want to meet people, you want to talk to people, but you most importantly want to listen to what they have to say. It's very interesting. Uh, one of the council candidates, Adam Michaels, and I were out collecting petition signatures last Saturday at the post office, and this is mm-hmm. a very uh, this is what typically happens is a person will say to me because I'm running for mayor this year and Adam's running for town council. Uh, people would say, Mark, why are you running for mayor? Or Adam, why are you running for council? And I would get maybe one sentence out. And then the people would, people would say, well, okay, I like that, but this is what's really important to, to, to me. And people uh-huh. really want to have an opportunity. This is the divergence. People want an opportunity to speak about what's on their mind and we were out there for three hours on a, you know, a winter day in January and people would stand there in the cold with us telling us their point of view. And that's where you need to be. If you want to be a candidate is to go out and talk to people and listen to what they have to say um, and let them challenge you. Because what it does is it hones your campaigning skills and your thinking skills and your listening skills. And it helps you develop a point of view that's more in line with what the community needs because it's not about what you want. It's not about what I want. It's about what does the community want? You know, I've, I've talked to you a few times about the poll. You and I have said that, you know, we've had conversations about politics as local. And yes. I started talking about potholes. And on the surface of it, that may seem like uh, menial. But when I was running for council last year, some resident made a, uh, an angry comment to me about, you know, why should she vote for me if I can't even get the potholes fixed sort of thing? And I, I said uh-huh. to myself, I said, she's right. Um, and so I started talking about potholes with everyone because of this one resident who, who was hostile to me. And, and you know what? Every time I talked about potholes with people, everybody agreed. I haven't met a single person who likes potholes. It's so, so it's, it's, a, it's, it's right is that nobody wants to get a flat tire from a pothole and why can't we fix them? But the, the deep, the deeper message there is listen to what residents have to say and then address their issues. 
And, and that's, that's how you run for office and that's how you govern. That is very wise advice. And I found it to, uh, to be true. Uh, folks know that I'm on the democratic uh, County committee or some folks know, uh, but also I'm, I, yeah, I'm, I'm an eccentric personality. People spot me in town and uh, uh, yeah, they talk to me about a wide variety of things. And uh, I became aware of like all these feelings about recycling uh, that I wouldn't have been aware of uh Otherwise, if people didn't talk about them, um, also I became aware that like there's a lot of misconceptions about things. Uh, so it gave me the opportunity to you know, let people know that, no, you can uh, talk to the mayor and council and you can bring this to their attention and they will take it seriously. You might not get the response that you're looking for, but the fact that it will be discussed and it will be addressed, that is something that you, know, uh, you will get. And uh, just on the approachability of the, the council, and um, th- there's a lot of misconceptions, and uh, people, uh, some people, uh, it seems they like to complain. When I used to come to more uh, mayor and council meetings, um, when I first moved to Tenafly, uh, it always struck me as amazing how some people felt the need to address the council, but to yell at the council without, <laughs> without checking into the reality of how involved are they in the things that you're pissed off about? <laughs> well, so, you know, in defense of the public, I have to say, you know, you know, if you, if, if you decide to run for public office and uh, if you're fortunate uh-huh. enough to get elected and you get sworn in, you know, uh, that's to quote an old movie, you know, that that's the life we have chosen. Um, okay. And so, <laughs> you know, you know, part and parcel with, um, you know, being able to uh, vote on a budget and decide, you know, how many police officers we have and buy new new fire trucks, you know, comes the harder part where, you know, we, we have volunteered or we have agreed to sit there in front of the public and during public comment, listen to what the public has to say. And uh, if that's not something an elected official is comfortable doing, then they shouldn't be in that role. Um, because, because the, 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 while as an elected official, I can be sympathetic because I understand it. I don't enjoy getting yelled at. And when I first started on council, I was like, why are these people yelling at me? You know, I'm Uh I'm here. You're paying me $3,000 a year to go to meetings almost every single day. Why is this person yelling at me? But then what I, I woke up one day, uh, you know, at a meeting, and I said, you know what? I have to have a better answer next time than the one I gave this person this time because I sounded like an idiot because I wasn't informed. And so it's kind of the people who were there questioning the council's choices and decisions and our intelligence are the ones who are forcing us to be better in our roles. Uh, the people who come up and tell us how wonderful we are, which doesn't happen that often. But, you know, we don't learn anything from that. We just pat ourselves on the back. But the people who criticize us, we have to make sure we have our act together so we're not subject to that criticism again. Um, I I do believe that every now and then, uh, and I used to do this when I used to come to the meetings, every now and then that the the council and the mayor uh, and the administrator should be uh, patted on the back because uh, they are performing a very important uh, function 
uh, for our community. Uh, and as you pointed out, they're not getting rich from it or even making a lot of money from it, which is the perception that a lot of uh, people have. Uh, and they're there because they care. And one of the things I must say about uh, uh, Tenafly is that uh, the people who are uh, elected to office, uh, despite uh, their perspectives and how closely aligned they are with my own, uh, they do seem to deeply care about Tenafly, and that's why they're doing what they're doing. So uh, I'm, I'm very heartened to be living here and to have that. Uh, so, again, I'm going to thank you because you guys are awesome. <laughs> so I appreciate that. Thank you. We recently, to that point, uh, uh, a couple of council meetings ago, we were having a very spirited debate uh, along with one of the residents about do we have enough trees in town? Uh, are there too many dead trees and dangerous trees? And we were going around in circles. And, and But you're, you, you hit it spot on there is the, the six of us or the seven of us plus one of the residents, eight of us, were arguing about trees in town. And the point of that is, is everyone cares about the trees. They all have different opinions, but, you know, we spent an hour discussing trees. Who does that uh, other than environmentalists? And um, most people in every town in the state or the nation who get on these, uh, who get elected to these local bodies, they do it because they care about their community. They have families and children um, and they want the potholes filled. I mean, that's that's what it comes down to. And uh, and and they want the sewer system to work. And that's that's the that is the whole purpose of of local governing. And our time is up. I just looked at the clock. Thank you. I had a wonderful oh. 45 minutes. I'm looking forward okay. to the next time you're on, Mark. Uh, I wish you success in all your endeavors and I will speak with you soon. Have a great night, Hercules. Thanks for having me on. Okay, thanks for being on. Take care, Mark. Uh, we are Bye. going to listen to a quick song, Bone Pots Orchestra's Evolve, and then we'll be back with Astrid and the Sussex Report.
having a conversation with one of our other hosts, um, Astrid, and uh, we'll be learning what's happening in Sussex County. Uh, We'll be learning more about the private versus the public sector, and we'll be learning about all the awesome things that are transpiring in our world, as well as the many challenges that we face. Greetings and welcome to your show, Astrid. How are you? Greetings to you, Hercules, and to all our viewers. I'm doing fine. We, up in Sussex County, had somewhere between four to eight inches of snow, depending on the area. So, and it was quite beautiful, with the exception of the wintry, blustery weather this evening, which is creating a problem. Here we had a dusting of snow, but it was freezing cold. I walked from the... uh, uh, the Clinton Inn, where the Chamber of Commerce was having its annual uh, dinner, uh, to the uh, Borough Hall, where uh, I chair the Access for All Committee, and I mm. thought my ears would fall off in like the, the four or five blocks I walked. Oh, when you start going to negative numbers without the wind chill, um, mm-hmm. we forget how fast that it affects our skin and the hypothermia. Uh, I went out just to clear my car again due to those gales and squalls out there. 
and 15 minutes, and my face was burning. Just came right back in and said, enough of that. Well, good. I'm, I'm glad you got done what you need to get done and that you went back inside. Cause I'm right, right. Well, and and as, as we're talking about Sussex County, I wanted to discuss the um, Sussex County Food Pantry. It's okay. a, a great a great organization, and um, they're doing a lot of different things here. Uh, with the economy the way it is, with the job market, there are so many working poor that struggle. And, you know, yes. thank God there are different food banks. And the Sussex County Food Pantry actually feeds and supplies many of the local food pantries. Uh, they now have this new program where they're partnering with schools to fight childhood hunger. And I was amazed at the numbers and the research they had. One in five children are food insecure in dealing with food poverty, and that's within our state. In Sussex County, that translates to over 3,500 children and almost half are ineligible for federal assistance programs like uh, the food stamps or reduced or free meals. Uh, again, because they're over making over the poverty level, over a certain amount of money, the parents, and as I said, working poor. And there are quite a few of them. And um, the Sussex County Food Pantry became aware of Norwest Caps uh, programs called Backpack Snacks Program. Because uh-huh. they had held the summit. That's what's really great when, you know, we always talk about this, that networking and getting together and communicating what what positive energy is going on and sharing it. And that ends up, you know, having people brainstorm. So uh, the Sussex County Food Pantry is in the fourth year of their weekend bag program. And what they do is they feed children in four Sussex County districts, Sabacon, Franklin, Montague, and Newton. And uh, the volunteers meet, and they stuff the bags on Thursdays, and then they um, pass them out very discreetly to the school systems. And, um, you know, the children have access to healthy snacks and uh, several meals to uh, guide them along for their weekend, at least. Wow, that that is a good thing. I would love for, for us to have some of these people on. Whenever you come on, you point to, to all the wonderful things that are happening um, in your neck of the woods, and I'd love to to talk to these folks and to uh, help them spread the word of definitely. I definitely will get in touch with them, and we could have them as a guest. I was amazed that 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 food pantry in last year alone served 18,000 people and stacked the shelves of 12 other food banks. That's amazing. Wow. That, that, that is amazing. And um, you're bringing to our attention uh, something that is very uh, real. Um, a lot of uh, families uh, um, are working families. Uh, but because of our economy and because of uh, the many uh, difficulties we have in uh, labor, um, the, the many inequities that exist in labor and uh, uh, the lack of health benefits and uh, holidays and vacations and things like that, things we all took for granted not too long ago, uh, a lot of uh, um, families are working and yet they can't afford life's basic uh, necessities. And because they're working, they don't qualify for uh, assistance that's there. 
so it's a really good thing that uh, some agencies have uh, taken this challenge and have translated it into action that actually benefits people. So Right, and and these are things that we need to share. To like you said, to to be following the public path to, for the service for service to others. And uh, on that note, I thought it was very interesting. I mean, finally we have this federal shutdown number one done mm-hmm. with. You know, the longest one going. It doesn't mean it can't come back again. But I noticed in in the papers that the New Jersey Department of Banking and Insurance were urging regulated entities to assist the residents affected by the shutdown. Uh, because many people, not only were they furloughed, but some were were commanded to go to work without pay. And and the um, you know there is a law within Congress that they will get back pay. Uh, but unfortunately, if you are a contracted worker, and there are thousands of them who will not get reimbursed, these are people, not just contractors that that build things and they're working on pro- uh, projects, um, the uh, cleaners, the janitors, the cooks, the service workers who were paid the least and given the fewest protections because they're not directly employed, so they uh-huh. will be forced to find a way to pay their bills, and they will not even have any kind of compensation. But I did send along to you a, a um, email I received, and uh-huh. it's a petition, petition titled Back Pay for Federal Contract Workers Now. And they want to present this petition to uh, go to Congress and pass the fair compensation for low-wage contracted Employees Act, which would make sure they get some kind of compensation. Congress already passed the 2019 Government Employee Fair Treatment Act, but it has not, the legislation has not been passed to guarantee that low-wage contractors will be repaid after being forced to survive without pay for a month. I received uh, one of the things you sent me was for tomorrow, and tomorrow I can't uh, participate because uh, I have uh, a podcast. At the time oh yeah, that's not a problem. That basically was just listening to the new rule. We could we could mention that you know afterwards. It was basically a okay. podcast for people that wanted more information on the uh, HR one law that is coming for a vote and and the, the, that will be passed along from the House. And um, it has to go to the committee first, and then it's going to the House. And that is the, the, um, that voting, the, the For the People Act. And that is a uh, Zoom conference. It's Thursday night. Uh-huh. It's a video conference, and it's like at 830 at night. And you can actually, uh, that website basically has the in- info on how to uh, make the call and who to get in touch with to find out and it's being partnered by People for the American Way, which is a great organization, to let you know what that involves. And that with the HR1 fairness in voting, um, you know, voter suppression, gerrymandering, all these different things, you know, and lobbying funds, uh, the amount of money used, obscene amount of money used to lobby and to promote campaigns uh, tied into the, the uh, Citizens United Act. So if people want to, to look further into that and get more research, that was a great website to put up, and that could be a, a video cast. That's tomorrow. But uh, going back to our poor workers, the um, 
the Department of Banking Insurance was was urging people, the different entities, to not charge late fees, relax the due dates for loan and mortgage payments, ease the credit limits, uh, extend new limits, waive late fees, allowing them to defer or skip payments, and so they would not have damage done to their 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 credit history and the bulletin if people are interested to see the bulletin it is on www.nj.gov slash d-o-b-i doby and then slash bulletins slash b-l-t-1-9 align 01 point pdf and i'll send that to you so if anyone's yeah, interested to, me, to I'll, see i'll share it on facebook yeah, it's quite sad because people, you know, having to resort to food, food pantries, uh, then they have jobs and, and then they find themselves without a job through no fault of their own and can't meet their bills. And uh, the horrifying aspect is that um, you have um, millionaires or other people, government um, officials within the White House saying, well, they should know how to manage their money better. Well, hello. They're lucky they can just about meet rent, some of these workers, right. particularly the low-income wage earners that are affected by the shutdown. Yes, the shutdown affected a lot of people and uh, focused attention on the fact that uh, um, our public servants are, are themselves not being served by uh, uh, the government that they uh, are keeping going because uh, – Everyone is so important to the functioning of uh, our government, uh, and yet uh, they were used as political pawns uh, in a game that had nothing to do with uh, governing. Most definitely. Most definitely. It's just beyond belief sometimes, you know, that you hear these these different aspects within the government that's supposed to be there to serve the public, and, uh, you know, it just does not always happen the way it's supposed to be happening. Now, one of the things that I like that you do, and I like a lot of the things that you do, uh, you're an awesome individual, um, and uh, you've opened my eyes to very many things, is uh, the uh, petitions that you send. And I, the process of petitioning, although intellectually I get it and I have responded to petitions, I right. really want to understand that whole, like, the, the concept of it more and to make it more a part of uh, who I am and what I do. So um, I'd like to have, like, devote a show to that. Uh, and this way definitely, can be more definitely. the petitions. Uh, you know, through some of these really very um, knowledgeable and public-serving websites or groups, um, like the uh, people for the uh, American Way, Daily Causes, all these different groups that I'm going to mention a few more later, that uh-huh. do, do massive research and put it out there, and they have a very wide expanse so they can reach very many people. These petitions with, with high numbers make politicians sit up and take notice. Uh-huh. It, they really do, and like this one with the, um, and related to the related to the uh, contracted workers, this petition will be brought to you know to Congress so they can look it over and realize that there are enough people and get someone to co-sponsor the bill, and that's how things are done. 
it's the process. So these take the place of uh, calling up your uh, elected officials or sending letters or sending emails? So like an, I would an extra say not take the place of. It's side by side. Side by side. Okay. Yeah, that's yes. where I was curious. It's, uh, I, you know, I, w- I would like to do the more most effective uh, thing. Uh, and I know from uh, past experience that if you give a call or if you send a letter, you'll get a response to your letter and uh, somebody will uh, listen to you on the phone and uh, sometimes they'll mail you something uh, with that as well. So I know that that's effective. Most um, definitely. Like, but they both work side by side because, you know, right. first it is the, the a petition that gets the ball rolling. And uh, and then you also have the uh, notifying your legislator legislator or your uh, senator when when right prior to a vote, which is something that's interesting because the large numbers had a major effect on the um, EPA choices and and putting pressure on Scott Pruitt going out. And as we talk about that, uh, Heather Shelby, who is um, very involved with um, with all these these things involved with the EPA, she's an action network manager, um, has something out and is becoming, making people aware of the fact that, uh, that there's a committee vote approaching on February 5th on placing the acting administrator of the, of the EPA, who is Andrew Wheeler, they're going to put him up for a vote so that he can be, definitely be considered for uh, that position full-time, and she's talking about, my gosh, we cannot have this man here, and gives the background, and that's what I like when you get the information. Uh, He launched an attack on the mercury and air toxic standards that were finalized eight years ago. He also is working right now to unravel the clean car standards, issuing a proposal that would unleash billions of tons of more climate pollution and cost the average U.S. family hundreds of dollars in higher gas bills. And he has continued Scott Pruitt's precedence of undermining the 2016 bipartisan chemical safety law, the Lautenberg Act, by allowing the EPA to ignore exposures to dangerous chemicals when evaluating their risks. Uh, and, of course, his efforts to unravel the clean power plan. Again, this is like a direct com- conflict of uh, interest. Yes. So he was involved with the coal industry. So that's another interesting thing. They're saying get together, uh, contact people, and tell them, follow the information, and tell your senators to stand against Wheeler as a, in terms of nominating him for that position full time. So this is an effective way of expressing uh, the people's will and having uh, politicians take notice and act right. accordingly. Right, and this would be the third one that would be knocked out of the box because we had Scott Pruitt first, then we had um, was it Zinke, and now we have this one who's acting, who definitely, again, these people should be recusing themselves. we doing the, the fact that they're in uh, direct violation of uh, of what the, what that agency stands for, basically. Right. And he was involved with being a coal lobbyist. So how in the world can he take the helm, lead uh, lead the EPA? Right. Unbelievable. It really is. And here's another interesting one. There is something a group called Food and Water Watch. 
and they are uh, a group that works right out of Washington, D.C. They have a website, they have a phone number, and they really research and look into uh, all different things related to keeping our food and our water safe, and this is what they found that the USDA, who inspects and labels and passes food inspections, has been Uh very very inept in their duties. And this is before the shutdown. And how they found this information out was via the Freedom of Information Act. This is what they found recently. Purdue had to issue a recall on their chicken nuggets after three people found shards of wood in it. There was, yeah, there's more, it gets worse. A recall by Johnsonville Products, who make all pork, because rubber bits were found by multiple consumers. And then Tyson is added to the list. They joined the recall list after rubber was found in their their chicken nuggets. And the research shows that the USDA inspectors in these company plants were not able to complete all of their inspections last year due to understaffing. And if you would like to get in in touch with the Food and Water Watch, their number is 202-683-2500, and they're located in Washington, D.C., I mean, this is mind-blowing. Here you think you have organizations within the federal government that are there to protect you, whether it be the EPA or, you know, like this Food and Water Watch in terms of the USDA, and it's it's just not happening. It's not happening at the rate where it should. And at the during the government uh, close down, uh, it certainly wasn't happening. It was even worse. Even worse. And then there's another great group, and I know you'll love to hear this one, Earth Justice. 118 lawsuits they filed challenging the White House on their attacks with with health and environment. 17 major decisions were made. 16 were in Earth Justice's favor, and only one went for the White House. One such ruling affected the ban on a very toxic pesticide. I, I can't even say the name. It's chlorpyrifos, but it's very toxic, and it is known to cause brain cancer in children. Under Obama, there was a ban on this product. Scott Pruitt, met, who was, again, as we said, he was the first head of EPO that was axed. He had met with the head of Dow Chemical, who makes this product. And he stopped the ban that was set in place. Well, Earth Justice took the EPA to court, and they won when the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals ordered them to implement the ban. So there we go. It does work. And people say, well, what can I do? You know, first be informed. There are different sites and nonprofit groups that will do the research. So be informed. And then second, as you said, there are petitions and there are um, senators and legislators that you can contact and voice your displeasure. These different groups will even give you bullet points in terms of what's being done so you can, and a form, a little form letter that you can just email and then a place where you can actually add your, your own comments as well. 
I found Earth Justice online, and I'm going to post that uh, um, underneath uh, um, the announcement for your segment here so that people can check it out for themselves. And Astrid, our time has passed. (laughs) Doesn't it always go quickly? Yes, it does. It always goes uh, very, very uh, quickly. And uh, thank you so very much uh, for being uh, um, having your show on tonight. And uh, I am looking forward to our next conversation. Yes, and we will just, this is a foundation, and we will build upon it so we can get our listeners involved in causes that they feel is important to them, their families, and the community. Yes, indeed. And uh, my brain was uh, sparking while you were talking. So next time we have a private conversation, uh, I I have some ideas I want to bounce off you and uh, we can evolve things to move in that direction. Most definitely. You have a pleasant evening and thank you for all that you do, Hercules. My, My pleasure. Stay warm. You as well. Take care. Take care. Uh, we're going to listen to a very quick uh, song, King of Dreams by Brand Sardorian, and then we'll be back with Bill Waitman and I on Northern New Jersey.
I am Hercules Invictus. Uh, today I'm wearing uh, many hats, uh, host, uh, co-host, uh, guest, engineer, uh, producer, and uh, I am very fortunate in that I know very many amazing people, um, and uh, these amazing people come here and we have uh, really awesome discussions. Uh, I'm very honored to introduce Mr. Bill Waitman, one of my mythical mentors, and we're going to be con- Continuing our conversation on artificial intelligence, a challenge to humanity that is right here, right now, and uh, will be impacting us more and more in the the years to come. Greetings and welcome, Bill. It's uh, my pleasure to be on tonight. Uh, I'm going to try to make sense of some of the stuff we are going to take. Wait, hold on, Hercules. I'm going to take off the... uh, I'm taking off the... uh, Wait a minute. Can you hear me? I can hear you. Can, can you hear me? I'm here. Can you yes. hear me? Okay, good. Yes, I can. can you? Yeah, I'm going to try to, uh, you know, tie all this up, at least in the beginning, so we have some framework to work on artificial intelligence. But I want to just go back to Astrid and you in the last program. Um, uh-huh. I was on the board of a uh, board of a comp- uh, organization called NorWestCap. Uh, it was a program that was originally uh, developed by B- uh, Bobby Kennedy in the uh, – uh, L, uh, JFK LBJ days. It uh, it uh, was a community. You know, West Cap stands for a community action uh, uh, group, and uh, nor and the front letters are Northwestern New Jersey. Northwest Cap is in seven counties and one city, and that's Patterson. Um, they operate pantries. They participate uh, in, in poverty studies. Uh, about this time of year, every year, there's a poverty study of who's sleeping on sidewalks, who's got pantries, and what's happening. 
uh, people are interviewed and uh, and reports are issued for each county. But with Norwest Cap, we ran a program called Head Start, and uh, that's unusual because usually that turns out in many cities to be a, a, a religious group that uh, runs it. Uh, uh-huh. We used uh, religious churches. I mean, we used Methodist and uh, uh, some other uh, churches in the uh, at least the tri. We had a, a tri county program: Morris, Sussex, and Warren. Uh, and there was a pre Head Start, which involved uh, babies, uh, young children, maybe one to to two or three, and uh, that ran out of Franklin for a while. I think that's gone now. Um, buses were engaged, and the kids were dropped off uh, because parents have a hard time traveling if they have no, uh, you know, this was low income. But it right. was a very successful program. I mean, we would get evaluations every year on that from the federal, the federal government, what we were doing. I kind of miss it. I really loved it. Home, Meals on Wheels was another one. Uh, that was a, basically a grant-like program. We had uh, programs to um, teach people how to earn savings and, and actually um, getting some feedback. I mean, uh, hold on. Um, sure. Can you, still, can you hear me, Hercules? I so can we, hear you. Um, can you hear me? I hear you excellently. Sometimes I give you feedback. Well, Do you have hold any on. Time? I'm going to... I got to turn turn this down. Can you hear me now? I can hear you. Can you hear me? Do you still have the feedback? Yes. (laughs) I still get it. I don't know what's up. Yeah, that happens sometimes. Uh, I don't know how to solve that uh, from this end, but let me try this. Let me just give me a second. Let me write down your number and I'll try calling you. Sometimes that gets rid of the noise. Okay. Okay. Okay, hang up, and I'll try calling you at the at the number you're calling from. Can you hear me? I can hear you. Can you hear me? I hear you perfectly. Okay, fantastic. Sometimes that works, sometimes it doesn't. I'm glad it worked this time. (laughs) It did. Uh, And that program even uh, in in Newark, we had a program in conjunction with uh, Home Depot where kids were Uh given tools and they would work on uh, specific building uh, building projects or or some other area. And for a while we ran... um, Oh, a um, couple of government programs with kids, uh, AmeriCorps, uh, which uh, high school and college kids would come in. Uh, we would do some education, and uh, we'd have them do community projects. But the one project that really I really liked was an income maintenance program where we told people how to save and uh, programs and using banks and whatnot. And uh, there was great success. Uh, people bought uh-huh. homes, bought cars, and it was a big change over. It was a great program. One program that was especially I, I was involved in was a program called Author and Friends, which uh, was for people around. with physical. Author and Friends. It's sometimes confused with a TV comedy, but uh, okay. it really it was a program, was a program that, program uh, that took some people out of Easter Seals 
and uh, other people that had uh, physically or mental challenges, and we had them um, uh, growing product, uh, exotic Australian flowers and vegetables and uh, New Zealand that could be actually table displays or could be eaten. And it, it got so successful that Arthur and Friends uh, started out in the, uh, at the state fair site in Augusta, but we spread to restaurants and schools and prisons and everything uh, uh, in uh, 17 to 21 counties here, and we spread across the country. And eventually we were, we were invited to the White House during the State of the Union wow. message under President Obama. I helped propose that. That was one of my uh, uh, projects that I really loved, and I, that's why I kind of missed not being in Norwest Cap. I went to a retirement of the director, um, but uh, really got involved so much in, the, in those efforts that uh, that achieved party, poverty eradication. So it, it was interesting. I, I could see where Astrid is coming from, and, uh, you know, there are programs like that. In Sussex County, there's another one called Project Self-Sufficiency, which works with, uh, you know, uh, homemakers that are in difficulty and sends them to school or college or has them interns or uh, or funds grants for them to have training under uh, something I spoke to you about in the past, uh, workforce investment boards. Which, yes. Uh, one exists in every county, and in the tri-county of Sussex, Morris, and Warren, uh, there's one big one that's located out of Morris County, and it oversees all different kinds of training, including training with colleges for, say, nurse aid or CP or a, um, uh, you know, a, a, a direct nurse or in other fields. And, uh, you know, in, in Burton County, your office, your WIB would be in uh, Hackensack, New Jersey. Um, actually, the woman that was running it, I think her husband was a prose- uh, prosecutor for the county. He's been replaced. But uh, I think she still runs it. It's a good deal. And these times are going to be tough. The statistics we generated last night, you're talking about 800 million people losing their jobs. Uh, wow. That's, that's hard to believe in Europe and in the United States. And the United States, the uh, artificial intelligence is supposed to eliminate anywhere between 39 and 80 million jobs. Um, and this many of them the are muscle year. jobs. This is coming quick because the, uh, the real big yeah. kick. The big kickoff uh, is uh, is next uh, is 2020. Uh, the Chinese are in our own hemisphere. Uh, that'll be a piece I hope that Astro will get to read. But they they're offering their Belt and Road products in in 10 uh, Latin American countries. And I think Trump's uh, yelling at walls and about walls and about Mexicans and other people. Uh, is causing us great damage with uh, Latin America, especially even Mexico, which Mexico is uh, is backing Maduro in the uh, you know the standoff in Venezuela, uh, joining uh-huh. Russia and uh, China. So that's not a good sign when your neighbor does that. And I think we're partially responsible. I know some people you know will say no way, no way, but uh, I've known one Mexican president, uh, and uh, we're now on two after him, and this one is more of a uh, populist, left-wing person. It's funny because Russia really isn't a left-wing country. It's just a dictatorship now. So Mm is China. Uh, I mean, he's he's basically in there for life. But uh, uh, they're ahead of us in so many ways, the Chinese, not the Russians. 
on artificial intelligence because they're getting breakthroughs with the um, the belt in the road that I was just talking about, Latin America, because they're pushing all the way to Europe. Uh, they're hitting Eastern Europe. Uh, they're hitting uh, African countries like Nigeria. Uh, they're um, and they're hitting Latin American countries, and they're hitting Asian companies. And the big negative feature of this, although some, uh, Joseph Nye, uh, who used to be a secretary in the Defense Department and uh, other areas, he coined the term soft, soft power. Typically, these uh-huh. projects are soft power. But the Chinese, what they do is uh, they require financing often through them, and the rates are very high. And in uh, one or two uh, Asian countries, I think it's Malaysia or somewhere near Malaysia, they seized the port that they built. So they've got a, a ports that can easily be converted to uh, military uh, uses. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. You said, I don't know if you noticed. I kind of went from poverty back into artificial intelligence. No, um, they're all tied together because uh, the artificial intelligence and all the people losing their jobs in the uh, near future. Uh, and the the poverty that they're all tied together. So I, I don't see you having strayed very far. You're, you're giving us a broader picture, and it's mind-boggling. It's it, it, there's all kind, and a lot of stuff contradicts uh, different studies. But I'm looking at one that uh, one study that uh, was done on the economic potential of AI, and that was back in 2017. And they predicted that 15 trillion dollars would enter the world economy in 2030. But if you remember yesterday, I was telling you statistics of huge layoffs in the world in 2030 on jobs and robotics uh, uh, shifting into more and more uh, jobs. And I think for every robot, there would be 5.6% jobs lost uh, just in this country alone. Um, We know that the people, if we went out and surveyed, that there's a lack of public trust about AI. And it's an implementation by lots of people, particularly people in Trump's, uh, you know, uh, that one third of the 33 or 35 percent that support the president. That's one of the reasons why uh, he remains in power, because and, and Republicans have follow along. Uh, there's strange things. Uh, there was a um, there was a study of uh, tech executives on their labor needs in 2018 and in the future. And 92% uh-huh. said that they expected they would need more employees with technical technical skills in the next five years. And 74% said it was a challenge to find candidates with the right skills and abilities. I'm going to go back a few years. And I know that you were, you were affiliated with government and uh, uh, New York State uh, uh, Department of Labor functions and things. But years you ago, remember, yes. you remember Robert Reich and others coming out with a report called the SCANS? report basically with skills skills needed for the workplace and i'm thinking 1990s but it's the same stem related uh, skills that are needed uh-huh. and uh you know um uh it, it shows here and this is a sad statistic american students earn fewer than half of the u.s doctoral degrees in many stem fields uh it's becoming more important in our economy but we're not getting the uh, one, one guy calls future ninjas that uh, that have those graduate degrees, and um, you know we're, we're caught in a roadblock because this president doesn't want immigration. But I don't know how that you balance out HB1 visas 
with the needs of uh, our economy because a lot of uh, Chinese and Indian students come to our best graduate schools. Hopefully we should find a way to keep some of them here. And, uh, you know, some of our engineering schools in, in New York and Boston have a lot of Chinese professors uh, and up, up towards Harvard and uh, other schools that, uh, you know, Mich- uh, Massachusetts Institute of Technology. So we need a way to actually attract Asians because they do tend to have a higher attainment of uh, graduate degrees. Um, you know, I, I'm, I'm kind of worried about our ability to, uh, to compete, that uh, the uh, Belt and the Road Initiative uh, is really going into full takeoff in uh, next year. And most people say 2026 will be the year that uh, artificial intelligence totally takes over. And, you know, in every industry, every single industry, there are movements of artificial intelligence or what we call, uh, we have machine language uh, training uh, in, in, in the mix where computers listen to humans, but we have a new setting developing, uh, which is ideal, uh, uh, ideal artificial intelligence, where the computers themselves make the decisions and pass them on to humans. And that's in all spheres, including uh, military usage. Even, I'm sorry, we know we still have the backlog. Uh, can you hear me okay? I can hear you. Did, did we get back the uh, uh, on your yeah, on your I'm way hearing? hearing so, uh, I'm going to try. I'm going to try taking. Um, I'm going to take the phone away from my lips and talk to you directly. But okay. these are uh, pretty much the problems that we're we're fa- we're facing, and they're dual problems. We can open the greatest opportunity, like the 15 trillion, or they can. Uh, do other other things. Are you, um, okay, you're on a different line now, so let me just paddle along here. Um, okay. You want me to try calling you again, or? Wait, I'm going to put it back. No, don't call. It's okay. I don't know what's going on tonight okay. with this phone. But uh, obviously, again, we need to uh, promote more STEM PhDs and graduate degrees of all sorts, including engineers. And engineers... Uh, will obviously be in, in you know uh involved in, in stem related and something uh a company today uh, appeared on the horizon that promised 18,000 jobs in Wisconsin it's a company from Taiwan uh at the last minute they changed their minds and said that they would only hire engineers um that means where they're scaling down their population needs to uh you know, to utilize artificial uh, and uh, and especially ideal uh, ideal artificial intelligence. Sorry, and and in the in the midst is uh, machine language. Uh, Going back to yesterday, uh, artificial intelligence really started in the the 1950s. That's where its name was coined. And then machine, then about to, from the 1950s to the 1980s, then a machine language came along uh, which basically humans were feeding information into the computers and the computers were getting back to humans. And now, now we're into this third stage. Some people uh-huh. call it the fourth, the fourth industrial revolution. And, um, if you can hold, bear with me. Um, I gotta see if I can get that. Okay. 
People are, are let me give you this little quote, and it's, uh, this comes from the, the president uh, uh, of IT in the New York Times. People are looking to achieve very big numbers. Early, they had incremental 5% goals in reducing their workforce. Now they're okay. saying, why can't we do it with 1% of the people we have? I mean, uh, this is what's happening. It will reduce. And this comes from uh, what I told you yesterday, uh, uh, MIT Technical uh, review. Uh, it's it's not a great statistic, uh, you know, to to, to fall on. Uh, something interesting that's happening in Japan is that they're going to atta- they're going to hack all of the nation's phones so that they can study how they can uh, fight back on cybersecurity. Uh, which is a growing problem. Japan has been uh, impacted. Yeah. South Korea has been impacted. Um, I want to go back to somebody that uh, I grew up in Richfield. Uh, you're up in Tenafly. Uh, uh, ten, years, uh, ten years ago, a small company named Estonia uh, was able to thwart Russian cybersecurity. And the interesting fact is the president at that time made that small country uh, the most savvy computer uh, AI nation in Europe. And Estonia is hundreds, of, probably a few, less than a million, two million people. But they thwarted the Russians. And they used to be a, uh, a pawn of the Russians. And uh, that's when this really started to pick up steam. You know, the U.S. and Israel, or one of them, by, either Israel by itself or the U.S., were able to impact uh, Iranian uh, atomic uh, atomic armed missiles and the making of, uh, of uh, uh, atomic missiles by a Stuxnet uh, virus that they implanted. So this has been going on for years. We know from the testimonies of, of the uh, of, uh, people with M- Mueller and uh, with with Congress and and elsewhere that the last election was heavily played by foreign intelligence, Russians, uh, Macedonian youth uh, that were putting out, putting out things in their country uh, that actually directly changed the flow uh, of the U.S. election. Um, AI, AI, artificial intelligence is going to make, um, it's going to start taking uh, white-collar jobs. Machines have already begun replacing human workers. The issue may seem abstract, but uh, it, you know it's only abstract when it's somebody else's job. It's not when it's somebody else's job, but your job. Uh, yes. Amazon has begun automating its warehouse uh, yes. some years ago. But here's the thing: they've developed clever machines which are moving from the warehouse to the uh, headquarters of Amazon to make business decision making and. Uh, uh, the people who command six-figure salaries to negotiate million-dollar de- deals—they're being replaced. This is nobody ever expected the, uh, this kind of, uh, uh, you know, thing. Uh, same thing is happening in a Johnson, a former Amazon executive, now manages uh, Johnson and Johnson supply chains, and the same thing is happening there. Uh, we're less and less. Um, Sales meetings are being impacted. Um, I, I've, I've got. Uh, I'm, I'm looking to find. Uh, let me. I'm having 
sorry for jumping all over the place. It's okay. But uh, artificial intelligence, as we know, basically started out as almost scientific uh, uh, fiction. Uh, we, we knew about machines that we at least saw that machines could talk and machines that think, and soon we had machines that can feel. And it's, it's, it almost seems impossible, but they, these existence of these, of these machines and these, this artificial intelligence uh, moving from simple artificial intelligence to uh, machine learning and then deep learning uh, is, is accelerating the pace of what's happening in, uh-huh. in the world. And uh, it's, it's, it's frightening because we don't know. I, I mentioned to you yesterday, I've taken a lot of criticism besides writing about brick-and-mortar stores, which, uh, you know, I'm, when I wrote that, I was really thinking about Sears. Because uh, uh-huh. I worked in Sears as a kid. I worked in Union City, New Jersey. And then the following year, I worked in Hackensack, New Jersey. And believe it or not, I believe that Hackensack an old, old-time original store, you know, maybe the 30s or the 20s, is still there. They'll probably close it, or maybe they've blocked uh, much of it off. But these stores are being replaced. Elevators operators. I remember working at Sears and seeing elevator operators and going into buildings uh, for elevator operators. But Hitachi has gotten a contract where they can almost guess where they, the, the elevators are programmed for artificial intelligence. And workers can almost uh, just stand there and be taken to their floor without even pushing a button. How does it work? I don't know. Uh, but that's learning, uh, you know, a subset of machine learning uh, has, has enabled uh, artificial intelligence to go forward. Um, you know, everything goes into artificial intelligence, including philosophy. Uh, and the advancement of artificial intelligence. Uh, the, the, it was created, the term was created actually in 1956, but it's been around in some significance in long before that. Um, so, uh, uh, hold on. Um, sure. It's, every avenue, even in government, you were talking about the hundreds of thousands of workers, and a lot of those jobs... Uh, can be uh, automated and taken away. Uh, the public seems all too willing to let go of jobs. Those people earn money. Uh, I don't know if Astrid brought it out, but probably the mean wage of federal workers is about 40000 That's really, you know, middle class or lower middle class in wages. Those are the people that do the things on planes and trains and, and everything else. Uh, some jobs obviously pay more. I was above that uh, uh, that median, but I was going out and, and, and designing training for Amtrak and, and uh, Nabisco. Mm-hmm. You know, one of the biggest things that surprised me was, um, and you've probably seen this too, and I'm, I'm going back for a little nostalgia. I okay. had time in Nabisco through the years, uh, the cookie company, and I remember seeing packers, you know, pack cookies off, uh, you know, off of, uh, you know, conveyor lines. But then... Uh, Project Logic con- uh, controllers were developed, which were electronic electrical devices hooked onto to speed up the process and actually quicken the packing. I talked about yesterday about the corrugated boxing for, uh, box factories that I saw. Uh, uh-huh. and they eventually, uh, with a f- an early form of artificial intelligence, or just maybe some kind of frozen 
uh, kind of a, uh, electronics, uh, they eliminated a lot of workers in a, a corrugated box factory, which would make hundreds of boxes a day. And uh, I talked about a company in China yesterday that has only four workers that uh, take care of uh, an operation that sends out 2,000 products. Now, uh-huh. I'm going to go back to size. Uh, I can't think of the chain. Uh, he used to sponsor TV, uh, TV programs. Uh, I did ESL training at Cy, um Oh God, what's his name? The clothing store, uh, educated consumer, whatever it was. And he had his daughter. I don't remember either. An educated yeah, consumer. I one. <laughs> it faded from my memory, but I remember him installing conveyor systems, and they had a multitude of stores. Uh, he sponsored programs on, you know, educational TV, public TV, like art and theater and whatever. But his conveyors, actually, uh, I was there for um, to give uh, English as a second language training and, 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 and make it uh, related to the work of the, uh, the assembly line people. Uh, mm-hmm. But he was doing more as a humanitarian kind of thing. And... Um, it was way ahead of its time because those things were being separated and sent to different stores on different conveyor lines. And I don't know uh-huh. if it was PLCs, Project Logic Controllers, or what was behind it. Uh, but it it was it was magnificent, magnificent to see. And um, and actually, those workers did get that uh, finish that training, and I I assume they stayed there for years or left for better jobs, which I think was internal probably their real dream in the end for Cy and his daughter who ran that uh, uh, Sims. That was the name of the company, Sims. Sims, yes. The Educated Consumer. And uh, I saw the same thing kind of close to both of us at this moment at Markel, which uh, suffered some uh, setbacks a few years ago. And I don't know if the family still runs the country or some hack guy came in and, and took it over. But uh, they had anticipated some form of artificial intelligence, and it's everywhere. Uh, there are cases we talked about yesterday where robotics uh, robots can be in a classroom with a teacher to help out. Right. Uh, they can be nurse assistants in a hospital to help our, our, an RN out with some of her duties, which may, might mean that some of the nurse aides or CNs, uh, certified nursing assistants, are going to be replaced in the long run. Uh, but these things are taking on pace. Surgeries that we never thought were possible, especially with the human hand, are now done by uh-huh. robotics. So this yes. is a field that, uh, you know, every every field is what I'm trying to stress. More and more, uh, the Air Force has developed a carrier, a gasoline plane. I know I brought this up yesterday, but mm-hmm. it can refill planes without a pilot. And... Uh, China, as we know, is, is going to be the leader at this point in, elect- in full electric cars, uh, and they're not stopping. We are, and that's a shame. I mean, this year, uh, 2019, will end cars as we know it for many of the major car makers. Uh, Ford will produce everything. It's, uh, will produce uh, very few cars except for its Mustang, and the rest will be, uh, you know, vans, trucks, and uh, other kinds of uh, more bigger vehicles, um, and the same with GM. I don't know if GM is going to continue the Camaro or, or the Corvette or whatever, but we're moving towards a different era in cars. 
And that means that uh, smaller countries like Korea uh, and China, because I still think people will be interested in regular cars. I don't see them all making that shift. Uh, I think that's an unfortunate shift. And uh, I think that the president has to uh, start giving up. uh, And this is something Ashton might allude to. Uh, We're talking about climate change. Everybody, I, I mean, just about everybody outside his administration and some people inside his administration saying climate change is a big issue. Uh, today, the big issue for both of us, and I haven't heard this term too much before, is a polar vortex. Uh, do, we, do you realize, uh, Hercules, that Chicago tonight will be colder than Antarctica? <laughs> That's I at least with one that, weather prognosis. person to tell me that tonight about Chicago. Uh, one of my associates lives in Chicago. I'm, I'm expecting a business call after the uh, podcast tonight, so I don't know if he'll be calling because uh, he usually uh, walks around outside while he talks to me. So uh, uh, it might be too cold. very good. I, I've been to Chicago once, and I've been by the river. And, uh, and you know, the expression I learned in college was the hawk is out. And that supposedly goes back to Chicago, because if the hawk is out, it must be cold. I don't know why, but, you know, for years, uh, the Bears played outdoors in uh, football. I don't know if you can play with 50-plus, you know, they're talking about 50-plus mile-an-hour winds tonight. Um, Mm -hmm. I'm not at my house, but my son has a, uh, uh, going back to the last century, a pellet stove tonight heating his house. Um, because really oil up there actually freezes and gels. And um, I had more trouble with that up there and, you know, we're off a lake. And um, and snow is harder. I came out tonight, um, I went to Wendy's for a, not a healthy place for me, but I went to Wendy's and the squall, how do you say that word, squall? Uh, I think, yeah, squalls, the snow squalls, yeah. It, it was so bad out. For maybe just 15, 20 minutes, you couldn't see at all. I'm not just talking about the snow. I mean, it was white. Everything was white. I, I really, I was going to someplace but other than Wendy's. But uh, uh-huh. climate change, you know, we're climate deniers. We're still actually in that Paris talk. It's something like Brexit uh, for us. But I think it's foolish because we're giving other countries the heads up. All these industries are all going to change. Uh, you know, even um, even a cello, once, which uh, a rail thing, China's building bullet trains and Japan's building uh, trains. And we have less trains than Mozambique, uh, which is an wow. African country that's, uh, rid- you know, riddled in poverty. Uh, I still think we na- need them. I, I didn't, I, according to news last night, uh, today, I saw one headed out for Chicago. Uh, I don't know how it'll lumber along. Because our trains are not as fast as some of the other world's trains. They're, they never move beyond the uh, whatever the late 90s or whatever era that I was involved in with that. And that was a uh, – I went up to Plattsburgh, New York, to ride around the little rinky-dink rain, uh, like train tracks like we would have as kids, except it was, you know, in, in a mountainous area and went around for a few miles. Um, all this is portraying large changes, large dislocations. It explains why people are, you know, feeling uh, bad about this uh, because so many jobs can be replaced in every industry. I told this yeah. to my son. He said, no, elect- electricity can't. 
but they have robots now and uh, things that have, that emulate us to every degree. Do you recall seeing Japanese uh, robots that were dressed like females? Yes, that's, you know, that, that, that's a whole other show. And uh, that industry, too, what's going on there is uh, uh, unbelievable. We live in incredible, unbelievable times uh, on a variety of levels. Would, do you remember the uh, what was the Rod Serling show? Um, Twilight uh, Zone, Night yes. Gallery. Yeah, well, this one was the Twilight Zone because it was the earlier one, I believe. And there yes. was an episode where the guy was on some planet, and he was alone, and they sent him yes, up I a robot. That. And you, yeah, right. And uh, he's up there with the robot, and for some reason, I think he hits her or something, so he breaks her. And then, you know, you hear him yelling at the end of the show because he's all alone again. Uh, you know, these uh, these things are coming. It's no, nothing is so out of the realm of possible anymore, you know. Uh, so right. he, 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 uh, and Sterling was a great thinker. He was way ahead of his time uh, and a lot of these issues. And, um, and the other one that gets me was the guy uh, – goes up on some planet and he finally gets a library of books and uh, he breaks his he glasses. His glasses, <laughs> yeah. He wanted to be alone in the world and he finally got his wish he was alone and he had plenty of time to read and then he cracks his glasses. I remember that too. And on that note, <laughs> we're approaching the end of tonight's uh, show. Now, Bill, um, are, are you going to be interviewing your guests uh, tomorrow? No, I, 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 uh, tomorrow is what, Thursday? Thursday. I was hoping sometime next week. I was okay. going to start uh, lining up some guests. I, I still have the uh, mayor of Richfield, uh, who was, was one of the uh, people that escaped the ki- FBI kidney sting, selling uh, kidneys, and uh, oh. trying to get more into the area. I'm thinking of running uh, uh, for office in Sussex County. The petitions are out. Awesome. Uh, I really think, you know, I'm, I'm picking up people on Facebook uh, and uh, LinkedIn, and I'm kind of enjoying that because uh, that works out. Um, but I like to start getting into more of these issues. This this issue here, by the way, I don't know if you were able to resurrect a lot of this stuff for somebody like Dan and the AWA. The loss of jobs that are coming are phenomenal. I mean, they should be collecting data on this because it's going to put a lot of people out. And they're on the fourth uh, um, week of the month. So I'll schedule you to be on the same uh, episodes so we could talk about that. And I mean, I saw something today from him uh, on, on Facebook. I'm, I hope the crowd's not getting mad at me, but, uh, um, and he wanted something about uh, 1099s and uh, income yes. taxes. Uh, my wife told me that I can do that research. Not that she's given me permission, but she seems uh, to have more faith in me than I <laughs> than I have. She's been well, sitting here listening to this YouTube, show. I, I, <laughs> I, I agree with your wife. I have a lot of faith in you too, Bill. Um, oh, I need it. words you care to share with our guests uh, who are listening in uh, tonight? Because uh, we've reached the end of our journey. <laughs> okay, you can. they can reach me on LinkedIn. Uh, either on okay. I think it's under William Waitman, uh, my real uh, uh, Bill's my nickname. Uh, and uh, I, as I said over and over, I'm doing some work with Harvard Business Review. They're not paying me. I wish they would. 
And uh, uh, I, I tw- Twitter is Billy Way, W-E-I-G, Billy Way. And uh, I, I would take Twittering. And uh, Facebook, I'm on there. Uh, right now I'm using a, an old campaign name, which I'm going to have to change, but it's Bill Waitman for Freeholder, number four, freeholder at gmail.com. And, yeah, I would like to get uh, people to send some, you know, questions or your own ideas. Uh, it, makes it, it makes it even more interesting. So, yeah, I'm hoping they will. Okay. Uh, your show's on the second and the third uh, uh, weeks of the month, and then uh, I'll invite you to the fourth to discuss that with Dan. And then uh, if there's a fifth week, you have a show there too. So um, if I will do that. I will. You definitely have a platform here, Bill. You know that, right? Oh, I, I'm going to use it. <laughs> Good. Thanks Thank to everybody you very much, for joining us tonight. Uh, Bill, thank you again, and uh, we'll talk to everybody soon. No problem. Take care. Good night. Thanks for listening to the Spiritual Unity Radio Network. Join us seven nights a week for exciting programming covering a variety of expressions of faith. And remember, all manifestations of the divine are equally valid. <laughs>